0: create a plan that fits your needs and your budget state farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner talk to a state farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs like a good neighbor state farm is there talk to your local agent today
1: my gosh you boys already know I'm not letting that Ramsey boy come over and play until you clean up your rooms
2: Live from Joe's mom's basement. It's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And how many languages do you speak? Personally, I know four. There's uh, English, yeah, Pig Latin, Esperanto, and American Sign Language. You know, but not the traditional one. The the one where you give people thumbs up and, and the hey bro head nod. That one. Joining us today is a woman who says there are four languages of money. Madam Money herself, Tara Jackson. Plus, in our headline segment, would you rather have an expensive wedding or wealth? Or can you have both? Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and save time for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who are both trying to figure out their money language. It's Joe and G.
0: It's the language of podcasting today. Welcome to Wednesday Hump Day on the Internet and elsewhere. My name's Joe Salci. I average Joe money on Twitter, just so you know who's who. I know Doug already made the introduction, but... This other voice across the table from me is my good friend, the other guy, or as we refer to him, OG. My love language is spending. Well, that's funny. I don't know if we talked about this ahead of time, but that is one of the four love languages. Money languages? And if you're married to a saver, Tara will tell you that there might be a disconnect.
3: Oh, okay.
0: Yes. And then you have to learn to speak the saver's language. The, the saver's got to speak your language. I want Okay. I be want right be now. Me now. Right. You were born saying the letters QVC. God, what <laughs> God
3: awful place. For-
0: That's kind of judgy. What if there's people listening that love QVC? I know there's people here that love QVC. But it's not you. It's a hard pass. Thank you. Today's episode, by the way, is brought to you by The Stacker. That is our newsletter And you know what? You'll end up getting 52 lessons from us in the stacker. Plus, you'll know what's going on down here in the basement. All kinds of money lessons that I was putting together a book. The book was not very coherent, but the individual chapters were. And so we blew up the book. We're now putting out the uh, individual chapters. You get those as the stacker. And we're going to be hitting the road here soon for uh well for several different places we also have some opportunities coming up for people listening including by the way you if you're anywhere close to the Detroit area please come join us next Tuesday Tuesday evening will be at the Maple Theater in Birmingham Michigan that is just north of Detroit And uh, Scott Rickens, the creator of the Playing with Fire documentary, is going to be here to answer questions and to hang out with us as we watch that documentary. OG's going to be here. Doug, Andy Hill, Dorothea Kelly, uh, Kat Alford. Man, a bunch of uh, fun people from the Detroit area coming out. And hopefully that will include you. If you sign up for the stacker, by the way, you'll be able to find out exactly how to get tickets or just go to. Go to the closed Facebook group and you'll see how to get tickets. We got a great show today. We got Tara Jackson here talking about the money languages of life, but we got some headlines first. So let's get moving.
1: Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show our stacking Benjamin's headlines.
0: Our first headline comes to us from Market Watch. This is written by Paul Merriman, the Paul Merriman. Paul writes, an opinion piece, OG, called Want to Retire Rich? Have a Small Wedding and Invest the Rest. A friend of mine, he says, recently joked that if somebody was planning a $40,000 wedding, about average by some accounts, Paul Merriman would say, have a $1,000 wedding and put the other $39,000 into a Roth IRA that earns 10% for 40 years. You'd never have to add another dime in order to retire. When I heard about this, it got me to thinking and calculating. It turns out my friend was writer writer. Then he realized, I love the way Paul talks, I hope you won't misinterpret that I'm against weddings or against marriage. Not at all. But if a couple or their families really have $40,000 to spend on a wedding, is that the best use of the money? And I don't want to get judgy here, OG, but let's take a look at this at 25 years old, assuming that the bride or groom has enough to qualify for a Roth IRA, they could contribute $6,000 letting that much of the 39000 start growing tax-free, earns 10%, adds $6,000 the following year, it continues to grow at 10%, that amount of money would be $1.77 million. And then he says if that money continues to earn 7% and they use the flawed 4% rule where you take out 4% of the money, uh and spend it it still grows to 3.21 million by the time she's 95 and it's all tax free $40,000 wedding og age 25 instead invested over the next few years what do you think
3: I think that you'd have a really hard time convincing people about to get married to do that
0: that's what i thought too i thought you know i don't want to be judgy about about weddings but I'm 51, and I look back on this, and I think that if you could speed me forward in time to age 51 and ask me if I'd do this at 25, and I got married at 26,
2: mm-hmm.
0: well, would I, yeah, I'd do this. You would have? Absolutely, I'd do this. Oh.
3: I think most people wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. Well, back in, it, could do I know now no, what I?
0: No, that's what I'm saying. I said, "Speed me ahead to to fifty one. Yeah, give me that knowledge, and then bring me back." I go, "You know what? Let's do it. Let's let's yeah. do it this way."
3: Yeah, I had a friend of mine who they actually did this. They they were thinking about the wedding and they were going through and the planning, and it was in two different states, you know, because her family was here and his family was from there, and it was just this big thing. And they went, "Screw this! Let's just go to Vegas. We'll tell everybody where we're going to be. If they want to come, they can on their own dime. On their own dime." And uh you know we'll have whoever's there we'll have a dinner and call it a day and outcome still the same still get married just save boatloads of
0: cash have a dinner like everybody pays for their own dinner. Yeah
3: yeah everybody's got to pay their own way the whole time always no I'm just kidding. Right. They, I think they covered the dinner but but yeah I mean it took a 40,000 I mean probably at that time it was 20,000 but took a $20,000 day and
0: turned it into a $2,000 day I think you got two problems here even if I convinced Cheryl to do this Number one, you have family expectations. Very powerful. I know that even when my kids were little and I was trying to talk about not buying these really expensive baby cribs, incredibly expensive. I'm like, they're not going to be in them that long. No, 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 no. We got to get these really expensive cribs. And I remember she had family members, my family members, all on her side saying, no, no, these are your precious babies. You got to have, you got to have the nice baby crib.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that's a really big thing. I it's that's what I'm saying. It would be very very difficult to pull this off. Especially if, you know, who's doing the check writing for the party? Usually the parents, right? It's it's you know, one of the parents or both. That's and another so, good point. And so you're going, "Hey, so listen, dad, I know that you've saved your entire life to to walk your baby girl down the aisle and you got 50 grand set aside." Wait for it. This is going to be awesome. I'll just take it in singles.
0: You're the (laughs) son-in-law, future son-in-law. I got a better idea, just hand me the cash.
3: I've got it from here, Dad, (laughs) Bill. Can I call you Bill, or should I call you Dad? Like, uh, neither, it would be Mr. OG
0: to you, you know. That would go over great.
3: Yeah, so I mean, plus at 25, there's, I mean know anything about anything, man, so I don't think you could get past any of that you would none of that would ever happen I, I distinctly i mean we've talked about this before. I remember talking to an uncle of mine and he was asking about some investment things that he wanted to do, and I said, hey, let me ask you a question why why uh you know this is a long time ago i said why why are you investing your money at this company and not you know when I worked at american express with 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 me at American express, he just looked at me and goes because you're twenty two years old <laughs> Well, you don't know anything about anything right now. Like, call me in 40 years and then we can talk, you know? So, Dad, I got it from here. Why don't you just give me the money you were going to spend on your precious baby girl? I'm going to invest it.
0: I would be so afraid. It's Slurpee factory, you know, or whatever. Well, yeah.
3: Plus, it would never get saved. That's the other thing. The other problem that I have with these specific things... Hey, did you know that if you uh, set aside $10,000 when your kid was uh, a zero and they saved that money until they were 65, they would have $47 trillion. It's like, yeah, okay. Dude, if I had an extra 10 grand when my kid was born, I would have done that. But I didn't have an extra 10 grand. Also, in other news, children are expensive if you haven't figured that out by now. So maybe along the way, I might have gone, dang, that college tuition's pricey. I might, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit that a little bit right now. I know I know the time value of money, blah blah blah. But guess what? University of insert
0: school here needs the cash. So you're assuming a lot of things along the way. Well, and I'm trying to always think of devil's advocate stuff. And I thought, what if? Okay. What if we had two fire movement families, and you know they are all aggressive savers, so they're all on the same page. I still couldn't hand that money to my son-in-law. Not happening. <laughs> or my daughter-in-law.
3: No. I'd go, "Well, if you don't need it, that's cool." Yeah,
0: cuz I'm keeping it. Let me
3: let me know if you ever need it in the future. Yes. I am I am keeping I get, it. I'm keeping my own cash. Yes. I'll give my kids 20 bucks. I like give them 40,000. <laughs> oh, oh, you guys didn't want to buy flowers with this or rent a hall. So, and what's weddings really about anyway? It's not about the bride and groom. It's about the bride and groom's parents going, let me show you how cool of a party I can throw. Well,
0: and it's funny you say that. Later on in this uh, piece, Paul Merriman says that his spouse said to him, a wedding, she correctly pointed out, is more than just a party. It's an opportunity for two families to meld together, which is is also true.
3: And also for you know mom and dad to show off how cool a party they can throw. or, Or not how cool. It's like one of two things. Like, whoa, keg beer out of a ice chest yikes
4: <laughs> you know what? we're like
3: is this is this middle shelf stuff this, this is a pretty good place open bar ooh till 7 yeah okay i guess frugal and oh. concerned about people's alcohol content i guess that's okay
0: if it were if it were with my family it'd be hey two drink tickets for everybody did you guys bring your own beer cuz we're out <laughs> i'm sorry yeah i know it's i know it's 4:30 in the afternoon and and then and the wedding started four minutes ago. Not the reception. Yeah, the, the wedding. wedding. Absolutely started four minutes ago. Yeah. We're going to start at the reception place. We assumed everything went good over there at the church. Our second piece comes to us from Forbes: the hundred thousand dollar uncash pension check. Tell me, for a money nerd, that's not clickbait. Uh, this is written by, by Ashley Elbing from the Forbes staff. Faced with increased. Scrutiny from the Department of Labor about lackluster efforts to find missing retirement plan participants. Employers are asking for permission to send uncashed pension checks, money that belongs to former workers, to state unclaimed property funds. Quote, it's unbelievable, but everybody has that story of a beneficiary who's sitting on a check they refuse to cash with no discernible reason, says Aliyah Robinson, senior vice president of retirement and compensation policy for eric in industry group representing large employers employers want to make sure they're doing what they need to do but there's no guidance employers can't just throw up their hands when they lose track of former employees employers are obligated to pay out any benefits due it's their fiduciary duty under erisa the law that governs traditional defined benefit plans and 401k retirement plans Uh, Last week in meetings at the U.S. Department of Labor, the Advisory Council on Employee Welfare and Pension Benefit Plans considered the topic in hearings, permissive transfers of uncashed checks from ERISA, plans to state unclaimed property funds.
3: That sounds like a fantastic PowerPoint presentation.
0: Oh, my goodness. Permissive restrictions. How many minutes till you're asleep? already negative yes i want that in podcast form so i could just put it in to go to sleep like the podcast you know sleep with me exactly one like that that's not a that's not a podcast it it is no that's not you begging i'm saying it is there is a podcast i met the guy that does it it's a podcast where a guy tells really boring stories and you fall asleep (laughs) and it's wildly successful it's incredible uh, one anecdote at the hearing involves a $36,000 check. Such a big cash check isn't a one-time thing. In one case, an employer sent out a $100,000 lump sum check when an employee retired, and it waited, waited while it went uncashed.
3: Must be nice. Probably the same people that are doing $50,000 weddings.
0: How do, how do you not cash a $100,000 check? Don't
3: know. Write me one. I'll let you know how fast <laughs> I cash it. <laughs> And I'll show you how fast
0: it bounces.
3: Yeah. Uh Yeah. This is weird. I think it's interesting when people always say that stuff like this doesn't happen to them. You know, it's like, oh well, I I would never lose track of my money, or I would never. And it makes sense to aggregate things. It makes sense to make things easier for yourself, especially as you get older. You know, we kind of sometimes forget things here and there. I had a client that not too long ago emailed and said, "Hey, I just got a check from um, Whirlpool for three hundred eighty bucks." What is it from? And I'm thinking, I don't know, warranty claim. Uh, you know, did you have a part go bad? Like it could be a million things. I said, I don't know. My first thought, cash it. You know, is it made out to you, cash it. Next month, hey, those Whirlpool folks sent me another check for 380 bucks. It's a dividend check. <laughs> I wish. Nope, pension. I go. Well, did you work at Whirlpool? Oh God, yeah, but that was like 40 years ago. Okay, and how long did you work at Whirlpool for? Oh, gosh, probably 20 years. Okay. So thank God they found you because we've been working on this stuff for 20 years. You think it might have come up in conversation. Oh, I'm going to get a pension from Whirlpool for 400 bucks a month. So
0: you lose track of it. I think it's worse for younger people because you see people that age, you know, that guy's got to be around 80 years old for those people, they might've worked for one or two employers. Yeah. The, the average, what what do they say? The average millennial is going to work for at least five different companies. Yeah. You could have benefits strewn all over the place and not know about it. It's nuts.
3: It's hard to keep track of, but it's on you to do so. You got to figure out a system to do that. Cause you don't want to be working for this company at 20 till 30, a some. but now I'd say thankfully, but it's not really thankfully. There's less and less of this pensions type stuff going on. So,
0: you know, there's something else here, which isn't just these unclaimed pension checks. We see this all the time too, OG, which is these life insurance checks that you know you had this random job. For whatever reason, you continued to pay the, the premiums after you left that job. Mm-hmm. It just just kept it alive, but your beneficiaries never knew about it. Your executor of your will, your t- t- contingent trustee trust had no idea. Life insurance checks get unclaimed, go unclaimed all the time.
3: I think they have a different process for those now. A lot of companies are matching the Social Security database with their policy list uh, on a monthly basis and going, whoa, this person stopped claiming Social Security because they died. Yes. We've got a person with the same address, same name, that is a policy owner. We should send a letter. Same, same thing. I had that happen to, to a client of mine as well. And it was a quarter million dollars.
0: Yeah, I was still. I was talking though to uh, uh, Brittany Burgett, our mutual fund mm-hmm. at Haven Life mutual and, friend.
3: Yes, she might be a mutual fund also, but
0: did I say mutual fund? Yes. <laughs> Brittany does not have a mutual fund. She oh. is a mutual friend, but you're right. She uh she said th- it. It's still. I mean, it happens to them every day. Yeah it's it's just it's it's crazy. The uh, I think the lessons there are begin building as you're at different places exactly where everything is so that at least your beneficiaries can find them but even better than that why wait till you're dead make sure you know what dollars are coming in so that you're able to take advantage of this while you're alive and then the other thing is i dare you go ask your future in-law if you can just have the thirty nine thousand bucks and then call us because we want to interview you afterwards to find out
3: and him see how much other money he has (laughs)
0: Our guest today Upstairs Talking to Mom, it's been too long. Way too long since Tara Jackson's been on. She was on last time she had a book uh, which was Financial Fornication. People that have done bad bad things with their credit card OG, things that you don't want to tell anybody else about, had some maybe some Never money had some money secrets. Well, she's back. We're going to talk about financial languages on today's show of course uh, tara is a popular personal finance expert she's been all over tv and radio financial contributor just about everywhere she is one of the most animated people i know and uh every time i talk to her we have a great time so i can't wait to say hello let's all say hello to tara jackson coming down to the basement And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's our good friend, Tara Jackson. She's finally back.
1: Man, I'm trying to tell you. I'm tired.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will not tell people what time we're recording this at. It is uh, whatever time they want it to be, but this is not usually when you and I talk.
1: Now, now We wait until the sun goes down. I'm a nocturnal creature, so the only person I would be at this hour talking, <clears throat> as you can tell I don't even have my coffee is you.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I thank you. Mom, thanks you. OG, thanks you. We all thank you. But but actually talking about being nocturnal, that's a good way to kick off our conversation, Tara, because you were on a late night flight to Atlanta.
1: Oh my God. The most great things happened to me on airplanes to Atlanta at night. I met this guy. Gorgeous. Oh, and I was walk I was watching him walk down the aisle and I'm like, Good God, he's fine. And then ah, he sat right next to me. I was like, Okay, okay. At first I wanted to sleep. At first I wanted to go to sleep. And I was praying whoever sits next to me would just shut the heck up and not talk to me so I can go to sleep.
0: Because the second somebody sits down and they turn to me and they go, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, Oh, please no. No, right, no, no,
1: no. Right. No. Oh, I'm good. I'm about to take a nap. That was my cue, right? But when this guy sat down, I was like, hi. (laughs) How how you doing? (laughs) And he was very nice. Um, Other than being statuesque and beautiful, when he sat down, he got this phone call. I'm assuming it was because it was his wife because when he picked his phone up, I saw the freaking wedding ring. And I was like, oh, that sucks. But... So any dreams of him becoming my husband was shot to heck. So, you know, he, he was having this argument with this woman, which I'm assuming was his wife. And he was like, why are you spending all the money? We're trying to buy a house. We're trying to do things. You keep spending all the money. And she's yelling, wah, 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 wah. You, you, you know, Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. I heard yeah, that through yeah. the phone. Yeah. Then all of a sudden he just hangs up and he like, oh, God. you can see it just drained him. And I'm trying to mind my own business, right? But I'm eavesdropping his conversation. But I'm looking at my phone like, okay, let me try not to look like I'm being nosy. It was a classic you know, argument, a money misunderstanding or a financial fight that I see all the time. And I just witnessed it from a stranger. Usually they come to me to talk about it, but I witnessed it from a stranger. And he looked like he just did not know what to do. How did you
0: know, because obviously we're going to go into these two people are clearly talking different languages, but how do you transition from that into, well, they must be talking different, different ways about money?
1: Well, when he started saying, why are you spending all of the money we're trying to save for, I immediately knew he was a saver and she was a spender. So that argument happens a lot with couples. The saver wants to keep the money and save the money because that's their safety and security and they want to maintain control. The spender, if they have access to it, we're going to spend the money. We see it, we like it, we buy it. So if we have access to the money, even if it's a savings account, we're going to spend the money. We'll create logical reasons as to why I must and have to spend the money. And so that is a classic argument that I witnessed. What,
0: what are, you said saver and spender. What are all four of the languages?
1: The four languages is saving, spending, investing, and giving. Okay.
0: okay. And what's your goal knowing the different languages? To be able to communicate better to people?
1: To be able to communicate better to people, but also know how to communicate in all of those four languages so that when a certain situation occurs, you speak in the language that serves you. So if you're thinking about your retirement and your future self, spending and giving may not serve you saving may serve you but you may want to learn investing so you can at least communicate or if someone's communicating to you about investing a financial advisor you can communicate and understand what they're saying
0: i got this is as much about knowing yourself as yeah. it is about communicating then
1: yeah it, it really is it's really all about you right even though we don't want to argue about money and we want to focus on another person's financial language and learning their financial language, when you become fiscally bilingual, now you have the control. So you can have a conversation that serves you in any type of capacity with anyone.
0: You, you say that uh, we all grow up, almost like you know we all grow up with baby talk and whatever language those around us talk. You say it's the same financially. We kind of grow up with our parents talk.
1: Yeah, we grow up. There's three things that create our communication style, just like if we speak English or we speak a certain dialect. It's educational, environmental, and experiential. So environmental is who you grew up with, your family, your friends, your neighborhood, anyone that's around you. I grew up in a household where my parents were spenders. They had the most awesome house parties every freaking weekend and they bought everything. And if they didn't have enough money to buy it, guess what they did?
0: They put it on a credit card. They borrowed
1: money to spend yeah. more money, right? So I grew up in that environment. So the dominant language that I have is spending. The irony of it is the dominant financial language of my sister is savings. Because she saw she was in the house when I left. She saw the struggle. She saw the arguments. She saw all the pain that came to being a spender. She didn't want that in her life. So she wanted to be completely opposite of them. So she would hoard money because she was scared to be like my parents. So she became a scared saver.
0: Ah, and and that might be part of the reason, like I have twins and my twins both grew up with Cheryl and I, and my twins, their financial languages, Tara, are totally different, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: but, but it's because they're reacting to different parts of the same coin you're saying.
1: Right, exactly. It's still a dime or a nickel, but I'm seeing heads. She's seeing tails. And so that environmental situation formulates our financial language. And then we go to school. So it's educational. So we learn different things. Just like I learned Spanish. I have to learn a second language. I learned Spanish or whatever. I can choose to be bilingual. I didn't. My my Spanish is hola. That's about it. And no say, but, you know, tacos. <laughs> tacos, my favorite, nachos, my favorite words, right? <laughs> but it's educational and some people want to learn. They actively seek to learn different styles of money and they don't even know it, but they do. And then it's experiential. You can experience something like I made a whole lot of money. I spent a whole lot of money, lost a whole lot of money and then I made it back. But when I made it back, I I became a saver because I did not want to ever lose it all again. So I learned another language of saving and became a hoarder of savings. Well, that's not going to help me for my future. So I also had to learn investing. So I had to put some money in an investment tool, understand that, learn that. And then of course, giving, that's just a part of me. I'm a philanthropist at heart. So giving was not a problem. So now I can speak in all four languages when it serves me. They're not all, one's not better than the other.
0: But you see these people that have trouble giving, or I remember when I was a financial planner, I would have plenty of clients that had a 401k at work and they'd say, well, I'm not an investor. Well, yes, you are. Yeah, Just that language saying, I'm not an investor, turning on that fear button makes it very difficult for people to, to go anywhere.
1: It's because they don't understand the language because investors, financial advisors, investors are special and they, they speak a certain language and have certain terminologies that they expect everyone to understand and everybody's looking at them with deer and head sights. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we're just nodding our head. Like, yeah, we don't know what you're saying, but we're going to look like we do.
0: I'm laughing because when I first became a financial planner, I didn't realize that. And I thought talking in big terms and talking like what you know whatever, using all the 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 languages, okay. talking about uh, you know the the fee structure about the alphabet soup when it comes to commissions, right. uh, beta, alpha, all this okay. stuff, standard deviation, and I remember quizzing my, one of my clients, and I maybe have been a financial planner for a couple of years, quizzing one of my clients, and and they're like, "Yeah, we didn't understand any of that. And they were not going to tell me right? Because they were so embarrassed that they didn't understand. And I feel like it's like when you go to a different country and somebody starts talking to you and you just kind of nod your head exactly. and, and they think for the first couple seconds that you understand what they're talking about. And you know you're so embarrassed. You're not going to, yeah. you not going to anybody, any of that stuff.
1: Right. And so the savers, spenders and givers, when we hear investors talk, we hear want, 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 yeah. want, 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 right? Yeah. And so that intimidates a lot of us. If we don't understand it, we're not going to do it. And if it scares us, big terminology, we're really not going to do it. But investors, they just think that everybody should automatically know what they're saying, what they're talking about and be impressed with the big words.
0: I want to stop for just a second go back to the educational part because you make a, a a really good point here. I like the fact that you make the point when you talk about education you like it's not just what people are learning from teachers you're you're learning from the people around you, yeah. like you know. And when I, when I when I I I read this, I thought I really did. I mean, when I was in high school, I was looking at what clothes people wore, right? Mm-hmm. How much they spent on shoes, mm-hmm. what people did for you know. It was all about what your parents did, and so you're learning this language, this hierarchy, that really, in a lot of ways wasn't, it was educational, but it was also incredibly dis- disruptive. Yeah. And it was also leading me down the wrong path, but it was completely educational how I was learning
1: my language. Absolutely. So even what we see it, like we teach a lot of people by what we don't do and what we do do. And so sometimes we have to be very careful. Like my parents didn't really have a conversation about saving or investing. We gave when we went to church. And they didn't really have that, but I watched what they did and I just did what they did and I learned what they did and I learned what they didn't do. They didn't save. And I I ultimately didn't save. I didn't see a point in it. So spenders, we save on purpose. We save to spend. And I didn't learn that until later on in life that I can save now, but I'm saving to spend, whether it's my future self when I retire, whether it's a vacation vacation. Or whatever, but I don't just do a rainy day fund. That makes no sense to me. It's raining outside. Can we spend some money? <laughs> <laughs> but you, but,
0: but you're saying that's good. You're bridging the languages. You're bridging the way you talk to a whole different language, so that you're able to communicate with yourself.
1: Exactly, and isn't that what being bilingual is all about? Because sure. uh, if I speak English and then I learn Spanish, it's a whole different culture. It's a whole different thing. But I have to do what it relates to me in order to understand that different language. And so it's the same thing about money. And once you start learning how to bridge that gap, you can now communicate to other people, but you know how you need to be communicated. So usually when I'm speaking to a financial language, I will tell them, a a financial advisor, I would tell them up front, don't use jargon and break it down Barney style. So you remember that big purple dude? Yeah. (laughs) I need them to break it down Barney style. Because I'm usually with a client and I'm telling the financial advisor, look, they're not gonna understand any of the jargon you're gonna say. Avoid jargon, break it down Barney style, use examples or whatever so that they understand they'll be more apt to execute than if you try to impress them with big words.
0: Whatever happened to Barney?
1: I don't know. I think um one of who's the new one? Oh, the baby shark probably ate him. The baby shark. <laughs> <laughs> I want
0: to ask about some of the phrases used in the book because although it's a very fun read and although it's a very accessible read, it also to me is very technical. And you do a great job of breaking down some very technical ways that people communicate. But you have some phrases used I want to talk about. First one, you talk about a cash conflict. This is an important phrase and you use it throughout the book. Tell me about cash conflicts.
1: Cash conflicts are those arguments that we have about money. Like the guy on the plane, he was having a cash conflict with his wife or whoever, right? Because the conflict was, what are you doing with this cash? You keep spending the cash. We need to save the cash. And so there is a conflict on what should be done with the cash. And so he's communicating savings and he's telling her not to spend. Now, the one thing you don't do to a spender is you don't tell a spender not to spend money. You don't tell me not to spend money because then I'm going to spend my money, your money, and everybody else's money. We will retaliate because that's our sense of control. And so that conflict will occur. So when saver keeps speaking savings to a spender, we just retaliate. We probably won't argue. We'll argue at some point, but at some point we're going to shut down. And then we're just going to do what we want to do, which is the complete opposite of what a saver wants. And that's what causes the conflict.
0: And people listening might be like, okay, well, we've all, I get it, a money conflict, a cash conflict, whatever. But this is hugely important because when that conflict begins, your first reaction shouldn't be to double down like this guy did. It should be to realize that you're, speaking the, you're probably speaking the wrong language. It's time to become bilingual. Sw- switch it up.
1: Right. If you're, if you're always having a conflict about cash or about money, then you're communicating and they're not understanding what you're saying. She knew that they are trying to save for a house. He was doing things that produce negative triggers for her. And so words matter. Words create triggers. Well, words create emotions. Emotions create triggers. Triggers create behaviors, or it may be different. Words, triggers, emotions, behaviors, okay? So if I say something negative, it's gonna give me a negative trigger, which causes a negative emotion, and I'm gonna do a negative action. And that's the same thing with money. So if you say something to me, that I, that I feel is a negative trigger. I'm going to feel negative about it. And then I'm going to do the opposite of what you want me to do.
0: Yeah. The next one, I thought this was just a Janet Jackson song, the pleasure principle you talk about. What's that all about?
1: The pleasure principle is majority of things that we do in life. We do the, to create pleasure and we run away from things that causes us pain. Even though going to the gym is probably the best thing for me to do this morning. That's a pain that I am not running towards right now. I just cannot do that. My pleasure is going back to bed and laying down for a little bit. Now, that may be the lie that I tell myself. I'm keeping the lie alive. But we we run towards pleasure and we run away from pain. So when you're talking about your financial language with a spender, our pleasure principle is the transaction. It's organic and can be orgasmic at times. It's the transaction. That's why you see people that have a whole closet full of clothes with price tags on them that they've never yeah. wore. Yeah. It's not the clothes. It was the transaction. And so investors, they chase after the return. That's their pleasure principle. Savers love the control and seeing their money grow. That's their pleasure principle. And givers love helping people. That's their pleasure principle.
0: Gotcha. Let's walk through some basics, of four percent. Obviously, we're not going to teach people how to be bilingual, multilingual in the next four minutes. But, but just to show people a little bit about how this works, Tara, uh, let's start with, uh, savers. How do you get a saver to spend a dollar?
1: So if you want to get a saver to spend money, you want to use certain words that causes pockets of triggers. So I'm going to say, Joe, can you help me find such and such So we can find a a good deal, save some money so that we can stay within budget. And so if you're a saver, I've hit three things. Can we shop around, save money and budget and stay in budget? That's going to help you feel controlled. They'll be good with that. And they're involved in transaction. That is what helps them to say, okay, it's okay to spend because we're spending within budget and we're going to save some money because we're going to shop around to do it.
0: OG sitting here wondering, uh, how do you use the word Ferrari in that (laughs) sentence? Which Ferrari can we use to stay in our budget?
1: Look, let me tell you something about a saver. If a saver goes down a certain dollar amount in their savings account, all hell's going to break loose and they're going to freak the heck out. Okay? (laughs) So as long as the Ferrari does not affect the saver's savings fund... And you can shop around. I don't know how you shop around for a Ferrari. But.
0: <laughs> but it's funny you say that because it all is. I mean, you know, people say don't compare yourself to somebody else, and a Ferrari might be in the budget. I mean, it might be t- t- a-, a-, a saver might be able to say okay to a Ferrari, is what you're saying.
1: If it's relative. Yeah. Like if you make millions and millions of dollars and you want to buy a Ferrari, that's like buying a Ford. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's relative.
0: Now, on the other side, how then do you get a spender to save some money?
1: You, one, don't say budget. That's a negative trigger for us, right? So it's almost like don't going on a diet. You go on a diet. The reason why I don't do well with diets is because it tells me everything I can't eat and I'm focused on everything I can't eat. So guess what I want to eat? <laughs> okay, exactly. Everything I can't eat. So I need an eating plan. I need an eating plan. Tell me everything I can eat so I can focus on that. And that's what I want to eat. That's the same thing with a spender. Spenders, we like spending plans because we're planning on what we're going to spend on. We can spend on savings. We can spend on investing.
0: So instead of seeing the bars, you see the opportunity.
1: Opportunity. A spending plan gives me opportunity because now I can plan on how I'm going to spend my money. A budget, I feel restricted and controlled. And we just retaliate with that. We'll try it for a while. A budget tells us everything we can't spend our money on. And we don't want that. So we need a spending plan. So this is what we can spend our money on. And if we don't have enough money to spend, we either need to cut expenses or we need to make more money. But we have to be taught that the savings and investing side of it, and in most cases, the giving side of it, they're non-negotiables. So we have to set it and then forget it. So put it away and we can't have access to it. So if we, if a spender has access to the money, it's gonna get spent. It just is. So the savings... Mine is automatically sent. There's a certain dollar amount that's automatically sent to my savings account, money automatically sent to my investment account, and money that I automatically send to my church. And I have what's left over. And if it's not enough, I either have to make more money or I'm going to have to cut some expenses because I want to have fun too.
0: That's so funny. I had to do exactly the same thing because I'm a spender. And if my wallet is has any money in it, it's going to be gone. So I'm actually the opposite of a lot of people. I use plastic because of the fact that for whatever reason I don't like taking the plastic out of my out of my wallet. But but a twenty dollar bill, that's gonna be gone. I mean, that mm-hmm. will that will disappear.
1: Well, the plastic, the the debit cards and the credit cards is not real money. So it doesn't have the same effect for most people than taking the cash out of their wallet. Because it's not real, all we want is the transaction to be approved, regardless of the dollar amount. But if I only have this amount of cash in my wallet. I'm probably going to be more mindful of how much I'm going to spend because I don't have any other means but what's in my wallet. Yeah, yeah. So for some spenders, we probably need to do cash so it controls the spending for that particular time. Because if I use my debit card or my credit card, sometimes the spending can be unlimited.
0: But it's also funny how that's about knowing yourself and that I'm the complete opposite. Like Mm -hmm. once I figured out that I'm the opposite of exactly what you're talking about, that's when things started going better for me financially.
1: Absolutely. And and it's not, you know, I keep telling people that wealth is not defined by one person. You define your wealth. You define what's financially successful for you. You define what works for you because that's going to take you to your success. And what my success is may be the complete opposite of yours, but we all achieve our own success.
0: You and I both know people who are great givers and uh, some people, frankly, that give so much, they give completely to their own detriment. They won't take care of themselves, but they'll give, 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 give. Triggers for a giver. What are some of those triggers for those people?
1: Well, with the givers, you cannot tell them, you know, you not really need to stop giving or whatever. That's just their being. And you have to celebrate the fact that they are a giver. And the unique thing about a giver, they're automatically fiscally bilingual. So if they give money, they're probably a saver too. So they're a giver that is a saver. If they give a whole bunch of stuff or buy a whole bunch of stuff for other people, they're probably a spender as well. If they give to businesses, your angel investors, or they just want to help someone's business, they're probably an investor as well. And so that's a unique thing. So celebrate that they're a giver, but you also want to teach them that it's okay to give to themselves, to give to their future selves, because they need to know that that's their whole being is to give. So you're giving to your future self. I'm Tara, but Juanita, which is my 70-year-old self, is going to need certain things. So I need to give to Juanita, right? I learned that from Tiffany Bajanista. Her old person, her future self is Wanda. I said, I got to give me a name like Wanda, dude.
0: (laughs) You start (laughs) talking about Juanita. I'm like, who the hell's Juanita?
1: Right. That's our future self. She gave gave her future self a name. I said, mine's going to be Juanita. So I got to take care of Juanita and I got to give to Juanita, which is my future self, because I don't want Juanita in, in Walmart saying hi at 70, 80 years old. So this one lady, she was a giver. Um, I just spoke at a conference. She came to me and said, I'm just a giver. I just give everyone. And I just got out of the hospital because I'm just, you know, depleted. And I said, look, have you ever been on a plane? She was like, I'm always in a plane. When they say when the oxygen masks come down, who do you put it on first? Well, I put it on myself. Why? Because if I don't, I could die. Exactly. So your financial oxygen mask on is required to put on first so that you can help other people. If you give the oxygen to everybody else, you're going to die. And then who's going to be able to take care of you or take care of them when you're gone? So it's required for us to give to ourselves first, especially for givers, before we give to anyone else.
0: The book is called The Four Financial Languages, The Secrets to Communicating About Money. I could talk about this topic all day. Tara, it's about time we got you back on the show, by the way. I know. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us. Where do we get it?
1: You can get it on Amazon. and You can get the Kindle. You can download it right now. Or you can go to madamoney.com. Or you know, you can go to the fourfinanciallanguages.com, the number four fourfinanciallanguages.com, and learn more about it
0: of all those places you mentioned, I'm just going to tell everybody which one I like the best because you've got a cool community around madam money. And it's so fascinating to see just the good work that, that not just you, but your community does. I mean, you've got this, I don't know, this cool band of brothers and sisters (laughs) who just are these super people. And, uh, I'd encourage people to go there.
1: Yeah. MadamMoney.com. It's a, it's a great hub. Great place and learn different areas that I have as well. So yeah, thanks for hanging out there.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for hanging out here. I appreciate it.
1: My pleasure.
2: Hey there, you stacker of Benjamins. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and because we've been talking about languages, we're citizens of the world here in the basement, especially when it comes to money. If you want to donate to the Support Doug Fund, I accept euros, yen, pounds, or francs. I love me some ballpark francs. Pay me in those. That's the best. I accept them all, though. Here's today's currency-related trivia question. Back in 1967, New Zealand dropped their old currency, the New Zealand pound, and adopted a new currency. What is the name of their 1967-era new currency? I'll be back with your answer right after this.
4: What if you two could be balding and own your own podcast production company? Aww. Think that would be too good to be true? Well, strap on the wow helmet, kids, because we're about to introduce you to Stacking Sacking Benjamins, Benjamins in, in the, the Cat. Now you too can create a moderately successful internet radio show from the comfort and privacy of your own mom's basement. That's right. Stacking Benjamins in the can is the do-it-yourself kit that's creating tons of internet fun. What's included? Well, feast your eyes on this, kids. Open up your Stacking Benjamins in the can and you'll see 14 ways to talk about your latest trip to Bavaria. 18 of the worst bad dad jokes you ever heard. Your own barely relevant holiday calendar. A sealed container brimming with the smells of stale basement air. And day-old pizza. Plus, one script chock full of Segway ideas. Oh. And, because there was still a little room, we also shoved in your very own... Steak Brother story. All in, in the, the cat. But that's not all. Think we can't do better? Oh, yes, we can. We've also thrown in In the the can can. five gratuitous references to OG's after-school activity, three boring tales about how cold it is in Detroit, and if you call in now, tons of free Sizzler coupons. How do you get it? You know that's not the question to ask. Oh, go ahead, ask us. How do I get it in in the can. can? Here's the secret to stacking Benjamins in the can. Just head to your mom's basement, buy a microphone, and we'll take care of the rest. Stacking Benjamins in the can couldn't be easier. Still not sold? What if I told you, stacking Benjamins in the can is gluten-free. That's right. Healthy, barely funny, and all stuffed into this refillable souvenir container. Call for yours today. Operators are standing by no animals were harmed in the making
2: of this recording. Welcome back, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor Doug. Word of fair warning, turns out that not everyone enjoys receiving various currencies like the basement does. I just tried to trade the Uber Eats guy a couple of euros for some ballpark francs and he looked at them like they were fake money. Well, in fairness, they weren't real euros, but these check-made knockoffs should be good for something, right? Leroy, down at the corner gas station, said they were valuable when he used them as change for my quarterly tire air rotation. guess not everyone is as cultured as old Doug, but here's some culture. Before the break, I asked you this question. What is the name of New Zealand's new 1967-era currency? The answer? If you said they traded pounds for dollars, uh, New Zealand dollars, that is, you'd be correct. See you.
0: Big thanks again to Tara for hanging out with us. Obviously, Tara knows what she's talking about, OG, but how many times have you sat in a meeting with a couple and he's talking one language, she's talking another, and you can, you can just see the disconnect as a third party in that discussion. All the time. It's so frustrating. All the time.
3: Yeah. It's not uncommon to hear from clients that some of the work that financial planners do is, is part marriage counselor you know, relationship counselor, if you're not married, you know, and you have a partner, it's it's very, very common to be the sounding board of let's try to figure out a way to talk this out because you're approaching it from this perspective and you're approaching it from that perspective. And it doesn't make either of you wrong. It just, we got to say it in a way that
0: you can both understand it. Well, sometimes I couldn't even bridge that gap, but at the very least I could speak the other language. So like, you know, we'd have these, these conversations where, one partner would turn to the other one and say something. The other one's not getting it. And I would interpret, yeah. you know, I Translate. just, yeah, yeah. So I couldn't bridge the gap between them, but I could certainly make sure everybody was on the same page. So great stuff again from, uh, from Tara. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first.
3: What's that? I'm not paying attention. Dinner, man. I'm I'm anxious for dinner. That's what I value right now. Yes. So that's it. Dinner e- and dinner.
0: Even though it's six o'clock in the morning. It is definitely not six o'clock in the morning where I am right Jeez. now. Jeez. Well, I'm sitting right across from the table from you and it's mm-hmm. 6.04 a.m. It's actually your loved ones in your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now for a free quote. Application simple and online. You get an instant coverage decision. Prices are affordable. And of course, they're issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, which is more than 160 years old. Today, we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our friend Russell. Say hi, Russell.
3: Hey, Joel and OB. What's an accredited investor? Why should I become one of those? Thanks. Size extra
0: large. OB. I love that. It's so awesome. And by the way, Russell, Gertrude, our sizzler friend, Gertrude, who also is the basement room mother. Which is true. She totally is the room mother. Gertrude is just going to send you a code. So if you're bragging about being an extra large, well, congratulations. Otherwise, there's no need to tell us that. But let's talk about credit investor. You're oh, not gee. one. <laughs> First of all, what is it? Not him. Oh, you're saying that if you have to ask, it's not you. That's right. Is that one of those deals?
3: That's right. When you go to the restaurant and. You know, you ask how much is that, and you can't afford it. No, you yeah. have to go to the kitty table.
0: How does it work? Because these rules are also possibly changing.
3: Well, I haven't heard anything about them changing, but um, uh, of course, I don't pay attention to anything. I was going to say that, it's so.
0: just—it it is just last week we haven't done a story on it. But, no,
3: thank God. Yeah. So I'm not a total idiot, just a partial one. I took it. I <laughs> just, just just play one I on just, the radio. I just, I just you did. It. I took it just because I knew it was coming. I just I'll, I'll eat that grenade. Uh, a credit investor means that you meet a certain criteria. You have a million dollar net worth, exclusive of your primary residence, or three hundred thousand dollars of family household income if you're married, and you expect it to continue that way for the foreseeable future. Or two hundred thousand dollars of personal income if you're single, and you expect that to continue for the foreseeable future. It's really self-reported. There's not. I know there's websites that you can. Make yourself an accredited investor by somehow verifying something. Maybe, I don't know, take a picture of your pay stub or fill in some
0: lines and go, yeah, I got a million bucks. Um, yeah, some some places where you invest try to make you verify so that they don't get in trouble. It's more their own CYA.
3: Yeah, but I mean- but most don't. Yeah, most don't. I mean, you're taking the, you know, you want to invest in this thing and it's a private thing. You have to be an accredited investor and you go, yeah, I'm accredited. They
0: go, okay, great. You you, know, s- you still got to sign the legal form that says that you are.
3: Yeah. And the purpose behind it is because apparently that investment is so complicated that only really successfully rich people can take advantage of it, which is hogwash, of course. Frankly, it's probably so loaded with fees and commissions that only rich people won't pay attention to it. <laughs> so that's why they, you know, or they make it like, oh, this is only for really, really successful people. It's probably not you. Like, no, no, I'm in. I could do it but originally it was set up to protect you know mom and pop investors so to speak because usually investments that are re- that require accredited investors are more private type enterprises where there's not as much public disclosure you know you can go buy a stock at McDonald's you could ostensibly have as much information as the best Wall Street analyst on McDonald's because all of that information is public immediately and with the internet there's really not even a time delay when information gets public. So it's fair to say you can get all the necessary information. If you want to invest in a super small business or in a company that company that raises money for ultra small companies, small businesses, they don't have to disclose as much stuff. They could literally be saying, oh yeah, we're worth a billion dollars and they're really worth a hundred million. And it's on you as the investor to know how to Get the information if it's available, and then make decisions with limited information. So, for a lot of people, it's pretty much much to do about nothing. I mean,
0: it was originally put there because it was supposedly Russell for more sophisticated people to yeah. make sure that you're sophisticated enough to understand Didn't all the downsides all of those investments. Yeah. I mean, I said really rich, I'm, you know, sophisticated. I used air quotes. Yeah, I mean, rich is sophisticated or sometimes two totally different things. Well, sure, but, but how do you thing... define
3: sophistication?
0: No, I agree, and I don't. Th- I-, I think this is flawed, which is why they're changing it up
3: allegedly but so I, you say
0: but i also think that the new things that they're talking about doing which you can go look up are also Pass. Prob- I, I don't listen i don't think there's going to be a good way ever for them to figure out who's sophisticated who's not without us going into some standardized testing booth which ain't going <laughs> to happen right so
3: <laughs> please that would be actually that actually probably be the best thing for all of these products like if you had to pass a finance 101 course yes. Yes. To be able to invest like, hey, I know you're worth eleven million dollars, but dude, you gotta you gotta do finance one on one first. And then you'd go at the end of that course, you'd say, Well, this is the stupidest thing I should do with my money.
0: And in defense of, by the way, and in defense of some of these investments that require people to be accredited investors, as the internet has changed and as technology has changed, and some of these fintech companies have changed, because of the fact that that the rules are written the way they are. I think OG is also bottling in a bunch of companies that aren't just socked with fees or tough to understand, but they might have limited liquidity as an example. They yeah. might have some, some barrier there, but historically I'm with OG. If the, if we were talking about 15 years ago, there was no investment where you need to be an accredited investor. That wasn't just to my mind was smoke and mirrors. I feel like with the rise of fintech right now, there's a bunch of fintech companies that are getting swept up in that.
3: Well, yeah. And and in that category, it still has the same issues, right? It still has liquidity issues. It still has disclosure issues. But maybe they're making it more restricted because they don't have the capital to hire a full legal team
0: to disclose all the stuff that they need to. So I'm saying saying I've seen investments where the disclosures are all there, but the liquidity is still limited. But everything is... Completely on the up and up,
3: or sure, there's some that's other what I'm yeah. Could or there's be that some too, other, but issue. it's just yeah. it just costs a yes. million dollars to yes. like have yeah. all this stuff be public. I can make it a public investment, and it costs me a million dollars to make that. Or yeah. I can make it a private placement, and it costs me eighty thousand dollars to do that. I'm just going to do that because I'm I'm brand new coming. I don't have a million dollars a year to throw at the SEC yeah. to make all this disclosure information. I'm still doing the right thing. It's like we talk about you know advisors who are fiduciaries or not. It doesn't matter if you are, if you don't say you are, if you do the right thing. So they could be doing the right thing. It's just an easier way of doing business.
0: Yeah. And so my, I guess my point at the end of this is, well, I don't think they're all bad. I think that a credit investor waves a, should wave a yellow flag in your face. It says, there's some stuff I have to know about this before I jump in. I'll cop to that. We also get letters down here in the basement. And by the way, somebody sent us a letter again last week. I feel bad. Because no, you
3: don't. You gleefully print it and then you crumble it up and go,
0: no, mas. I feel, no, I do feel bad. I feel because we say it almost every episode. We're no longer accepting letters. This one, by the way, is from April, just to tell you how far behind we got. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, no more letters to the show. So, where Russell was really succinct, Jacob wrote us War and Peace. But we're, Jacob, we're going to clean up your note a little bit, because Jacob has a bunch of different priorities, OG. He's 27 years old. He got his uh, bachelor's in mechanical engineering last May, and he's now working as a full-time engineer, and he's got a great family who's allowing his longtime girlfriend and him to live rent-free in a daylight basement. We're in a basement. What's a daylight basement?
3: One that has a little bit more daylight.
0: Oh, does that mean that the the little uh, windows by the ceiling are a little bigger? I don't see any windows by your ceiling. Right, right behind your head. Oh. I thought that was some kind of, you're calling me stupid. Some kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I don't know. So he's got a few things. he got $7,500 in savings. He's maxing out his Roth IRA. He's maximizing his, uh, he's putting 6% into his 401k and getting all the match. He's got a student loan with $15,000. Those are between 37 and 4.7%. And he's got a car with 312,000 miles on it. So he's got four priorities, OG. Priority one, he says, that Roth IRA. He didn't know that, and he wrote this back in April, he didn't realize that he could put money toward his Roth IRA from last year because he only put $850 in it. So he could have maxed out his Roth IRA second saving for a car says his car has been the best. He's a snowboarder though. And he's put the car through hell and back. And he's worried that at 312,000 miles fixing what's wrong with it's going to be more than the value of the car. He's heard not to finance from everybody, but he lives 25 miles from work, no public transportation, or there's no opportunity to carpool either. Third, he wants to save for a house said he was keeping about 5,500 toward his down payment, But he's worried if this money be better spent going toward the Roth IRA. And fourth is a school loan. He said that seems pretty straightforward. $160 isn't a ton. He used to put more money toward it. But then when he looked at that interest rate of 3.7 to 4.7, he thought that was beatable. So when he talks about the, the investing piece with the Roth, he's a little worried. He says that the market being at its peak, in his mind... The investment's not as straightforward as it could be. But of those four, how does he prioritize those?
3: This is an example of wanting to have everything done in three and a half minutes. And the reality is, is that you just can't do everything all at the same time. So you just have to kind of lay out here's how it's going to happen and recognize that it took you 27 years to get to this spot. So it won't take you 27 years to get to the next spot. It's going to seem like it, especially if you're saving for a home purchase and you need to accumulate 25 grand or 50 grand, you're going to think they'll never be there. But the reality is, is that there's no other way to do it. If you do it any other order, you're going to end up with Taking two steps forward and three steps backwards because something will backfire. You, know, you mentioned the car, for example. Yeah, you have to keep some of that money, 7500 bucks. You have to keep some of that money aside
0: for the car. But, of, but out of all the moves, spending money on the car is the one that's going to help the situation the least. Sure,
3: but it also is one of those things that will just jump up one day and be like, and sure. today's the day you write a $6,000 check. Yeah. So you can't have that money in a retirement plan and then... Four days later, go. Oh, I changed my mind. You know, um, but my
0: question still would be: What's the smallest amount of money? If I've got all these other goals, which mm-hmm. sound more important, yeah. How do I spend as little money on the car as possible and not have to roll the dice every day to get to work? Sure.
3: So maybe the spend as little as possible is to keep the one that you have going, going. Or maybe it's buy a five thousand dollar car. Or you that's know, true whatever.
0: because because at the amount of money he's talking about, he says it might be more than the car's worth. Who cares what the car's worth? Oh, I mean,
3: it's decidedly anything. A new tire is probably more than the car's worth.
0: 312,000 bucks.
3: <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, if you put right. new tires on cars lately, I mean, it's a six, 800 bucks probably. Sure. Right. So um, it's just whether it's the trade off between that cost versus a different cost. Yeah. There's plenty of 300,000 mile cars out there that are well maintained that have another 100,000 miles in them.
0: Maybe he trades it in for a 150,000 mile car. Yeah. A lot of different. There. Trades it in. You like that? Yeah.
3: Push, pull, or drag. We'll give you a thousand dollars. No questions asked.
0: Yeah, that's where you're having to take
3: that. But take that car, by the way.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't take it there though, because you're still not getting a good deal from that guy. You're not getting a good deal. Well, no, but you get a thousand dollars. Push, pull, or drag. It will overcharge you by a thousand dollars. Well, there's that. <laughs> Don't look
3: over here. Look over there. Push, pull, or drag. Earl, oh, we need more smoke. Less
0: mirrors. Flash the mirror in his face. (laughs) He won't see.
3: So we got to do it the right way. We've got to keep cash reserve good. You know, $7,000 is a nice cash reserve. You could part with a little bit of that if you needed to for the car purchase if that pops up. But because it's right there, I don't like the idea of sending that money away to a retirement plan. I do want you to really focus on paying down the student loans. $160 a month sounds like pretty inconsequential dollar amount. You're like, oh, I can afford that. That's no big deal. But you'll be doing that for the next two decades and then it will really suck. Worse than it does now. <laughs> you know. So do so you have the opportunity to pay down some debt? I would do that. Keep the cash reserve or build the cash reserve. The house down payment is another goal that you want to work on. This is just thinking about, okay, I want to buy a house in one year. My house is going to be $200,000. I need to put 20% down. Can I accumulate 40 grand in one year? Maybe the answer is yes. Maybe it's no.
0: Well, and here's the thing I mean, he's got a pretty sweet deal in that free basement, kind of like we do. Mm -hmm. If he can continue doing that, if he's happy doing that, and parents are happy with that now. He could really get a lot of work done toward financial independence because you know, the, I mean, the three biggest expenses, right? Are your housing costs number one, your uh, automobile costs number two, your groceries number three. So yeah. th- those are your three big costs. If if he takes his housing cost to zero, and his automobile cost, he keeps those super low. This idea of saving six percent, those student loans could be gone like immediately. He could get so much money stuffed toward financial independence. That by the time his parents are finally sick of him, a year and a half from now, he he uh, he's. Well, you he, want to
3: have a house payment. You want to buy a house. Do the house payment right now. You know, figure out. Okay, if I bought a two hundred thousand dollars house and put twenty grand down, my mortgage payment would be X. Well, I mean, is your income going to change materially in the next two years? Let's say.
0: Well, I love you know how I love that. I love play testing the mortgage amount. Yeah, let like, I me mean, play test it and see what you can afford. Yeah, and just put that money into savings.
3: Man, that's how you get your house down payment, by the way, is do that for the next two years, put away your two grand a month that your house payment's going to be, and boom, a year from now, you've got your 20 grand, and two years from now, you get your 40.
0: But I still, if he's okay with pushing that back, I mean, I don't know what his priorities are. Yeah. He he could make some a serious dent in getting his financial independence number moved up.
3: Depends on how long you can stay quiet in the
0: basement. Stomach living in the basement. Well...
3: That's more likely
0: it. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Jacob. You got a question for the show. We don't take, please don't send me a letter. Sorry. Please do not. Uh, instead call the Haven lifeline, com forward slash voicemail. And you too can share your t-shirt size on the show, even though we don't need it. Just no matter what, say I'm an XL five two two fifty. Ding. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Sporting, uh, a uh, Stacky Benjamins TV right This is a, this right is a now. retro one. I know. I you got, to sell you this got the one, one from the tour. Yeah. How about that? Only the cool kids. Well, that's going to do it for this show. Lots of people to thank. We're going to let Doug do most of that. However, I do want to thank people that have left us a review of this year' podcast because that tells everybody what they're getting into when they tune into Stacky Benjamins. This one is five stars from Mike McD1970. Do you think that means he's gone to to McDonald's every day since 1970? Absolutely. Yes. This review comes to us from Terror Master. Oh, boy. I wonder if that's his bedroom safe word. Keep going is my safe word. (laughs) That was so funny in that movie. That was a good joke. That was so good. First on the playlist, five stars. I've listened to and still follow lots of personal finance podcasts to help with the commute. When I look at the list of new episodes available... Well, this one gets played first. Entertaining with bits of knowledge, some great guests, and current financial news. It's worth every minute. Mom is so proud of that, OG. She keeps it on the fridge. And uh, thank you very much, Terror Master, for for that review. I love that name, Terror Master. That should be your name.
4: I
3: got one. I actually got two, OG and the other one. Yeah, yeah. I don't need a third.
0: No. Too but, many split
3: personalities. But if you had a third. She's in the United States of Terra. That could be... Have you seen
0: ever seen that I, show? I watched one episode. It was good, but not good enough to keep me... Really? Yeah, yeah, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I thought it was good. Yeah. Did you like it?
3: Yeah, we did. Yep.
0: Yeah, yeah. I liked it. I just had like five series going on then. So that's going to do it for today. One last thing. If you need a guy with uh, two personalities in your corner who doesn't want a third, oh, geez, taking clients. <laughs> Maybe the other guy's taking clients, too. The
3: saver and spender.
0: Who knows? That, that's right. I can speak both languages. All he can. I can speak all languages. Yes. Got all four of them covered, not just the big two. Uh, head to com forward slash OG. That'll lead you to his calendar so you can find out what it takes to get OG and his team in your corner. All right. Doug, you've got it from here, man. What should we have learned today?
2: Sure thing, Joe. First, thinking about a cheap wedding. While talking about weddings as a waste of money sounds good, in reality, getting your in-laws to just give you the cash equivalent might be a bridge too far. Second, struggling to talk money with your spouse? Take some advice from Madam Money, Tara Jackson. By learning the language of the other person, you'll make more headway in finding common ground. But the big lesson? Don't let Leroy down at the gas station pay you in check knockoff euros for your Quarterly tire air rotation The guy does me a solid by Rotating the air in my tires But then he rips me off on the change That guy Thanks to Madam Money, Tara Jackson For joining us You'll find her book Four Financial Languages The Secret to Communicating About Money On Amazon.com This show was created by Joe Salcihi, Produced by Richie Rutter reese And engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And yes, we know that the rotating the air in your tires is an old Bob and Tom joke. We'd thank and credit them if this were actually a joke i really got quality service and leroy completely ripped me off on the change so don't write us about that just quit sending in your letters and nagging us about all the old jokes that that i'm allegedly stealing from the greats just let it go folks
0: I hope that uh, lots of people come and hang out with us for the big movie premiere. I'm not coming. Just decided. Now. Just now. Just said, nope, you're out. You said you want people to show up. I got to tell you, Cheryl and I saw this movie just yesterday. And this movie, by the way, is called Yesterday.
4: This was my last gig.
3: If it has happened by now, it's like a miracle.
1: Miracles happen. <laughs> what happened?
2: Aww. Electricity flicked off all over the world. She.
1: <laughs>
3: Yesterday, Ellie bought you a present.
2: All my troubles seem wow. so far away. Now it
1: looks as though they're here to say Oh I believe in yesterday. Oh Why did
3: you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who
0: And it turns out that after he gets in a biking accident that uh, bicycling accident that uh, Something changed, OG, and the Beatles no longer exist. And so he goes from this singer who writes not very great songs to being a dude who writes just absolutely brilliant songs like Yesterday, Back in the USSR, I Saw Her Standing There. That's a cool play on the whole idea. Writes all of these songs and ends up Ed Sheeran discovers him. And it's funny, in one scene a little bit early in the movie, Ed Sheeran is so taken with the fact that he's come up with these brilliant songs and he's such a great songwriter that Ed says, let's have a songwriting contest. You write a song right now and I'll write a song right now. You got five minutes back in the other room and come back out, whatever you've got. So of course, Ed Sheeran comes out and he's got this pretty killer thing that he did. And then this dude, this dude goes into... The long and winding road. Da, da. And he and he plays it with all this soul. And Ed's like, well, you can see he's way better than me. He's just totally better. This movie is uh, you know, we've had Rocket Man, mm-hmm. we've had we've had um The Queen Bohemian won, Rhapsody. Yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. This is along the same vein, except it's not trying to play the same game of telling me the story of the Beatles. Instead, it's this funny. Comedy about a guy who's clearly ripping off somebody else, but trying to sell it as his own stuff. Yet nobody else in the universe knows. And so, where the other ones took you on a fairly predictable path, this one actually takes you on a pretty predictable path down the role of a comedy. However, it checks all the boxes, and it's funny because critics, I looked afterwards, critics uh, have this as a sixty percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and audiences have it as a ninety-five. It's exactly what you expect. Critics are going, "Yep, it's the same formula. I've seen it a hundred times." Totally agree with that. Seen it a hundred times. Laughed all my way through it. Hummed every song. Thought it was really fun. If you like the Beatles or just appreciate good music, like comedies, pretty funny movie. Yesterday, I have yet to read about a person, like online, who went to see this movie that wasn't saying fantastic stuff. I think the review I just gave you was probably the worst review of anybody I know personally. Everybody else has said much better things than I've I said. I thought it was predictable and a great time. Okay. So,
3: who are the Beatles again?
0: Oh, it's funny. Other stuff that doesn't exist. I'll let people watch the movie and find out, but there's also he finds out along the way as he mentions things that there's a few other brands that don't exist, but it's always random in the movie. Like the movie just starts to lag for a second and he goes, "You know, it's kind of like da da da." Person's like, whoa, whoa, what is that? What does that mean? (laughs) You've never heard of da-da-da? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly Navy federal offers member only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit Navy federal.org slash celebrate. You'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site. Like, Best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to Navyfederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the military appreciation month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.